This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 169, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, May 21st. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 169. It's the Comic Reviews episode for the releases of Wednesday, uh, May 21st. Uh, unfortunately, this episode is going up uh, much later than usually. Um, Usually we, well, realistically, the episodes usually go up on the Monday to Tuesday following the weeks of a week of comics being released. Uh, unfortunately, this week uh, it's been a little bit delayed. So actually, as I speak, it's actually uh, May thirtieth, which is a Friday. Um, so I'm actually I was looking at the books that I'm going to be talking about today and realizing, man, it feels like a long time since these books have come out because it's been a full week. I've already read a bunch of the new releases for May twenty eighth. Um, so. This episode will be a little bit more truncated as a result. Um, we're going to kind of be a little bit more fast-paced. Also, there's just a shitload of books to talk about, and I'm actually losing my voice as we speak. Um, so I just, on the strength of that, I just won't be able to do as long an episode as I would normally do for reviews or as detailed. Um, looking forward to future episodes, just so our listeners know, uh, we have episode 170 coming out probably a day after this drops, or if not, a few hours after this drops. Uh, which will be the X-Men Days of Future Past uh, movie spotlight episode. Uh, that was recorded uh, this past Sunday, I guess the... Uh, I don't know what day that was. The 25th. Uh, and it was done with Tibor Mate, who's a frequent guest of the show on movie episodes. And then episode 172 will be a new Talkin' Heroclix episode, uh, which will come out next week, probably around June 6th or 7th. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier. It all depends on the reviews episode that week. And that will be um, myself talking with Leonor Alana, again, a frequent guest of the show, talking hero clicks. Uh, in fact, we joke on that episode that uh, we're late to the party because uh, the Days of Future Past had already come out weeks earlier, and we just hadn't had a chance to pick up our, our case of our two countertop displays. Uh, uh, we hadn't had a chance to actually pick it up, so. We finally got to talk about it and uh, do it on the podcast. However, because of the way scheduling worked and with the movie podcast not having come out yet, it ended up getting pushed even later. So not only will that set already feel ancient because it came out a while earlier, it's going to feel even older because we had to push it by a week. Anyways, to jump into this week's comics, first up is All New X-Factor number 8. Again, written by uh, Peter David with art by Carmine D. Domenico. Um, We kind of jump right in. Um, this interesting character, this mutant who seems to have killed Cypher, um, Danger and uh, Warlock are not... Well, Danger doesn't really care as much, um, but uh, Warlock is pretty upset. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting issue. I uh, continue to really enjoy the, the, the tone that Peter David is putting into this book, um, how the adventures kind of work, and... Uh, I really dug this, and the art by Carmine remains fantastic, and I like the the way that uh, Warlock looks now. Um, really, really interesting stuff. So I, I, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Again, a solid read, just like the book has been really since the beginning. Um, I And I, I like that he's kind of taking the opportunity of having a different version of X-Factor. Like, the name X-Factor is really old. It's similar. I mean, you have Polaris and some other characters that have previous ties to X-Factor, but you also have a lot of kids that just orphaned for a while. Like, Danger was orphaned after AVX and no one seemed to care about her at all, which was weird because she was such a huge part of the pre-AVX continuity, and then when Brian Michael Bendis kind of took up the two, well, the flagship that then became two flagship X-Books, 
no one seemed to care about danger, but she was such a huge element. So Peter David picks her up. Uh, he picks up Cipher. He picks up Warlock. Like he he picks up Gambit, who hasn't really been you know meaningfully used in quite some time. He had an ongoing that wasn't that great. Um, so it's nice to see Peter David kind of um, shepherding the lost children of the lost mutants of the X universe and putting them into a really well written book. Um, second issue up is uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two. Uh, this is by Humberto Ramos on art and Dan Slott writing it. Um, sometimes I like to re- list the artist first just because I feel like we always go writer first. Sometimes I like to shake things up. Um, this was, uh, again, a very entertaining read. I think I actually like this more than the uh, first issue. Um, and I-, I think a lot of it just because it's a kind of a simple story. There's, I mean, the beginning is fantastic. Um, well, not, not the prologue, sorry. The main brunt of this issue is you have Peter Parker and Anna Maria Marconi actually sitting down and having a conversation. That's something that doesn't happen a lot in Spider-Man comics, especially when someone confronts him with who he is and his identity. And so he actually just lays it all on the table. And I was so impressed with Dan Slott because it would have been far too easy to just joke about it or some some awkward sitcom-esque, you know, what are you talking about? I'm not Spider-Man. Like, that would have been really awkward. Um, but instead, he just confronts it and says, yeah, I'm a Spider-Man, but I'm not the Spider-Man you knew or I'm not the Peter you knew. And he just goes right to the heart of the matter and I was thankfully very relieved by that because I thought we were going to get some painful, you know, um, you know, him not telling her the truth. Because Peter doesn't usually tell people the truth. Um, as much as he's a hero, he also lies a lot to the people in his life. Uh, so I like that he didn't. And he just told her everything. And then she just kind of takes off. Uh, having yet another experience of, you know, Peter Parker and the Avengers and the Avengers testing to make sure he is really Peter. Uh, and then... Having now, this is a case. You have Spider-Man punches uh, Captain America. Now I get why he's he's obviously feels a little bit betrayed that Cap never told him that, that Flash was Venom. However, the artwork here is like it's the the biggest punch that Spider-Man has ever given a Cap, and there's this giant crack on a which makes you feel like like is Cap dead? Like that's what it seems like this should be. Now what makes me reminds me of is um, if you ever. Um, I forget, it's it's kind of everywhere, but the original panel where Hank Pym uh, slaps uh, uh, his wife, uh, Jan Van Dyne, the Wasp, back in Avengers, what, 213 or something? Back in the 200s. Does that. Uh, apparently, the original script was supposed to be more of an act hit, uh, but the art came out as like a, as like a genuine like punch, like something like, like really big. I feel the same way about Ram- Ramos here. Uh, he's supposed to do kind of like a pop, but instead, just the the way that Peter's like turning away from the punch afterwards, it looks like it was one hell of a punch. Now is Captain America still standing? Or I guess technically he's not, because he is knocked out his ass. Uh, so now Spider-Man knows about Flash Thompson um, being Venom, which I kind of wish Venom was on Earth now, because I'd love to see these two actually have a conversation, and maybe, maybe, maybe Peter actually revealing that he's Spider-Man to Venom uh, would be really cool. They probably would never do it, but... You never know. Um, I mean, he came clean to Anna Maria, which I didn't expect either. Um, and then moving onwards, we have what I thought was one of the best moments in the in the book in some ways is um, Peter and, um, what's her name, Sejani, are talking about you know, the big role that they have to do. Anna Maria shows up and is like, I need to talk to Peter. And uh, Sejani's like, kind of, you have to get out of here. And uh, so Anna Maria throws down the gauntlet and says, I'm pregnant. And that obviously clears the room. And as a reader and as Peter, you're like, holy shit, seriously? 
Because that would definitely explain why she was acting a little bit weirder earlier. I mean, obviously, she just learned that her boyfriend is actually a supervillain, but whatever. Um, and I like that it was a fake-out. I love that Anna Maria is competent, is a, you know has a real personality. Uh, obviously, Electro comes back here. He's been messed with by Peter recently, or sorry, by Spider-Man recently. Uh, he accidentally like fries a groupie, which is actually really horrific. Um, Peter then goes and meets with uh, Human Torch, and they have kind of a conversation about coming back from the dead, so to speak. And then uh, Peter decides he's going to build a better mousetrap. He's going to he wants to create a new supervillain prison using the technology he's built over the years to make um, you know kind of capture Spider-Man's rogues gallery, which is actually an ingenious idea. The only thing that worries me about something like this is. Uh, I like the kind of grand pronouncement type of thing. He, he, it feels like he's almost more auto than he realizes in some ways, and maybe there is a little bit of auto in him still. But what I find interesting is more uh, Marvel is not content generally to let their characters deviate too too far from an accepted path or an accepted norm. Uh, the fact that Spider-Man was married and they took it away is kind of indicative of this. They want to put things kind of back to a, a certain gl- uh, rosy status quo. Everything that happens in Dan Slott's book feels like it gets farther and farther away from the theoretical status quo. The original status quo was Peter working as a photographer. Well, obviously that went to hell during Brand New Day, uh, and then eventually he became you know, employed at Horizon Labs during Big Time by Dan Slott. Big Time then gave way to the Superior Era. There is no more Horizon Labs. Well, technically they're on a boat somewhere. Uh, so now Spider-Man has his own company, Parker Industries. I love the concept. I think it's really fruitful for, fruitful for good ideas. However, it does make me wonder um, what eventually is going to happen when they want to bring it back to the status quo. Like It feels like it's really hard to put that genie back in the bottle because everyone knows that Peter knows Spider-Man now. He's not accepted as a photographer anyway, but if they try to go back to that, how do they retcon like, such huge continuity issues? Because... They've clearly made it so he's not trustworthy as a photographer. Plus, they've made it quite clear that he supplies tech to Spider-Man, which makes him not impartial at all. And in fact, if they ever think that he's a menace, he's kind of culpable in that because he, he supplies him with technology and has in the past. Um, him having his own company, him potentially designing supervillain prisons, like he's getting a little bit farther and farther away from just being the guy, the everyman, that they wanted so badly to make him into during Brand New Day. So I'm, it just makes me curious. And with this issue, I'm going to give it an uh, 8.5 out of 10. The electro parts were interesting. Um, the, the quieter moments were fantastic. Uh, I also kind of like the uh, prologue. I thought it was interesting with uh, kind of introducing this character of Silk slowly. Um, so I, I did enjoy it. Definitely, uh, we're off to a good start so far for the week. Although, for someone who said it was going to be a quick podcast, and we're up to 11 minutes and I've talked about two books. I'm not doing such a great job, my own promise. Uh, Amazing X-Men number 7. Uh, this is by Catherine Immonen with artwork by Lam Medina. Uh, sorry, Paco Medina, my bad. Um, uh, this was a very much a, a done-in-one kind of story. Um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends basically uh, going up. It, it's kind of a weird story. Um, the big game and is going on. and So Firestar and Iceman go out for snacks and treats. They end up in, in the middle of uh, something pretty messed up with, like, involves aliens and Spider-Man and a baby. Um... I thought it was very forgettable. Um, the artwork I, I thought was inconsistent. Um, it wasn't like a, it was a bad comic. I just thought it was forgettable and unnecessary. And it was trying to be, it was this lighthearted, fun adventure, but I don't know. It kind of took me out of the regular flow of Amazing X Men. Um, 
Oh, I gave it a five and a half. I mean, sometimes these work really well. I mean, back in the 80s, you had the commuter story in Amazing Spider-Man by Peter David. That was a fill-in and a brilliant one. This one, it was not brilliant. Uh, next up is Avengers World number six. Uh, this is written by, I believe, Nick, uh, Nick Spencer and Marco Cicchetto. As we have um, the Avengers going to AIM Island. Um, really, this is about Hyperion, though. And Hyperion kind of dealing with who he is on this Earth, what he could be. Uh, we're flashback to him having some interactions with Thor when it comes to the children he was kind of protecting and helping to teach. Um, and what what is Hyperion and what can he be and what's he going to let happen to the world? Um, will he allow this world to get destroyed? Uh, Smasher that doesn't do much, but she does make a few appearances here. Um, I liked it. Um, not the most consistent story, but I do like the, the writing of Hyperion, and I think Nick Spencer was trying to achieve the same tone that uh, Jonathan Hickman did when he first introduced this version of Hyperion over in Avengers. Um, Nathan Strzok, guest of the show, previous guest of the show and friend of the show, uh, he loves those line of, you know, there were two Hyperions. Um, he often will, like, truth without compromise, all that kind of stuff. He will often just start quoting it because he thinks it's such powerful dialogue. Um, and then next up is Batman and Frankenstein, number 31, or really Batman and 31, uh, by Peter J. Tomasi, artwork by Doug Monkey. So this issue does not have Patrick Gleason, uh, the regular, um, you know, kind of uh, artistic partner for uh, Tomasi. That being said, here I, I honestly would have been hard-pressed to tell you it wasn't Gleason in cer- certain shots. Uh, you have uh, Batman meeting up with uh, Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein obviously not being so happy about what happened last time him and Batman came face to face. They try to get closer to uh, Ra's al Ghul to stop him uh, from trying to resurrect Damien, and it looks like maybe they're too late. Um, it was a good issue, enjoyable. Um, a little slow, a little bit too much, and I, it was. If I look at a big shot of Frankenstein this week, I'm going to give it a seven. It was. It was good. Um, it does feel like a little bit of padding to have these kind of team-ups. But I do like them, but I'm just kind of ready for the storyline to kind of get where it's going. Because we had a storyline with, you know, Batman trying to bring back Damien himself, and then he kind of come to a decision not to do that. And now we're getting a bunch of issues of him trying to find Roz, who's trying to do the exact same thing Batman was. It just feels like we're spinning our wheels a little. Um, next up is Batman Eternal number 7. It's written by Scott Snyder and James Kenyon IV, Ray, Ray, Locke, sorry, Ray Fox, John Lehman, and Tim Seeley, with artwork by Emmanuel Simeone. Um, I like the issue. I like the artwork because the artwork was a lot darker, closer to what Andy Clark and uh, Jason Fabok were doing um, when they were illustrating their chapters of Batman uh, uh, Eternal. Um, so we have Batman kind of trying to deal with what, what he's doing. He's trying to uh, deal with Professor Pig. Also, you have Catwoman and Penguin, uh, mess, you know, in each other's faces. Uh, the iceberg lands goes down. Um, Batman looks like he might be getting a little bit of help from Catwoman. Um, there's a lot going on here. Um, this is one of the better chapters that I've read. Uh, I like that. Like we are getting a lot of different elements going on. There's what Batman's doing. There's what Catwoman's doing. Um, seeing the Falcone connection, how he's messing with everyone. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batman Superman number 11. Um, so this is by Greg Pock and Tom Derenick. Uh This is, what, uh, Infected Chapter 3. Not my favorite chapter, I'll tell you that. Uh, not that I think that would be a surprise to anyone. I have not been a huge fan of the Batman Superman book. I think it's been schizophrenic at best. Um, 
but I do, sorry, the pencils are my bad, were by Carl Kershaw, Tom Derenick, and Daniel Sampierre. Um, the artwork is a lot better here. Um, the story is a lot more coherent. Um, although going to the negative zone seems like an odd decision, an odd story. Uh, it's not as strong as the other chapters of Infected because they were more about Superman himself dealing with it. Instead, here we got this weird Steel, oh, Batman, and Wonder Woman team up. Um, and uh, yeah, um, we'll see where where it goes in the next chapter, which I think is in Superman Thirty One. Uh, but I I it was all right. I mean, the artwork is better than this book has been generally because of, uh, I have not been a fan of what Jay Lee's been putting down in this page on these pages. The writing could have been a little bit stronger. I'm going to give it a six. Uh, next up is Daredevil number three. This continues to be just a brilliant book. I mean, who cares if it had a relaunch? It's basically been the same book for a while now, and it continues to be quite quite enjoyable uh, by uh, Mark Wade and Chris Somney. Chris Somney is just an amazing storyteller. Uh, so here we have Daredevil in the Shroud. Um, just brilliant art, great storytelling uh, mechanics. Um, also, we have Foggy Nelson is obviously not dead, and we have him kind of show up to talk to Kirstie McDuffie. Um, Daredevil launches a plan with uh, the Shroud, which doesn't quite go as he expected. Um, and the last page is, you know, a great kind of cliffhanger. Very, very pop art, you know, stuff. with like, oh no, what's going to happen to Daredevil now? And it's just, I just this is just so much fun. I love it. Um, I'm going to give this a nine out of ten. I'm not going to spoil much else about the story because it's just a, it's a, it's a fun book you need to be reading. Uh, next up is Electra number two. This is not a fun book, but it's a beautiful book. I mean, it's a really good book. It's just, it's, there's no sense of fun here. It's by, um, let's see, W. Hayden Blackman and art by Michael Del Mundo. Um, it's just, I mean, the, the opening few pages really kind of threw me off with this kind of assassin of a kind who basically uh, eats or devours the, their prey and, and gains abilities and skills, etc. Um, Electra is going after this elusive prey. Um, also after him are Lady Bullseye and Scalp Hunter, a weird odd couple if I've ever heard of one. Um, when they finally get to the prey, it's not what they thought because the actual prey is not who they expected. The, it's actually the person who posted the bounty. Um, so anyways, this is really cool stuff. Um, the This new kind of character who's going to be hunting Elektra is super creepy. Um, this is this is gorgeous. It's, it's really well done. I'm going to give this an 8.5 out of 10. Uh, next up, now this is why it feels so long because the, one of the first books I read on May 21st, so that's nine days ago, was uh, Forever Evil number seven. So it just feels like it's been ages since I've actually read this. Uh, it's by Jeff Johns with artwork by David Finch as we end the Forever Evil storyline. It still feels like a lot of things just never quite happened here um, or just felt like they weren't handled that correctly. Uh, so here we have Batman trying to kind of strangle. Uh, Lex Luthor because he thinks that Lex Luthor basically let Dick Grayson die and he murdered him. Uh, you have uh, the evil Alexander Luthor kind of going, running amok. Uh, Batman and the Luthor, sorry, Luthor is able to save Dick Grayson's life. Um, Cyborg shows up, which if you haven't been reading uh, what Justice League, then you don't really know what the hell is going on there, which feels weird to have such a huge thing that Cyborg's back and he's in control, but yet if you aren't reading, if you didn't read that issue of Justice League, then you have no idea. There's not even a footnote or something to really, really explain it. I mean, they kind of do, but it happens so quickly. But it was such a huge moment that it feels like you could have almost made this series bigger or made its, its focus a little bit wider to have it be part of the actual series. 
uh, Batman and Luther teaming up together is interesting, as well as Batman uh, basically getting pit-pocketed by Lex Luthor, which I find hard to believe, even if uh, Batman is distracted, because uh, Luthor, I just don't think, is that good at pickpocket. Um, you have um, Wonder- Superwoman revealing that she's actually uh, carrying Alexander Luthor's child, not Ultraman's child, which is kind of a big reveal. Um, the rescue of all the heroes from Deathstorm, uh, sorry, from Firestorm, is really kind of stupid. Um, because it's instead that, like, in order to get in, in order to get them out, has to someone with a, a emotional connection to the lasso and to Wonder Woman has to be able to get them out. And Batman's like, "I'll do it," which is kind of like a really like, is there a romance there? Does he have some sort of feelings for Diana? I don't even know if I care about that being possible. Um, the Bizarro clone gets killed, and Lex Luthor takes it pretty hard. Um, the uh, Let's see, uh, Sinestro and uh, Black Adam are able to neutralize, uh, or they are at least attempt to take out Shazam. It doesn't quite work the way they want it to. Um, having uh, Luther on Luther was awesome, and the way Luther's able to take out uh, the evil Alexander Luther. Then Ultraman shows up to kind of kill Luther, uh, but that doesn't go well because of uh, the sun being blocked out. The rescue of the heroes almost seems like an afterthought from Firestorm, which I didn't think made a lot of sense. Um, having Ultraman want to be killed, but uh, Lex Luthor refusing to do it was interesting, although he does step on Atomica. Um, then Lex Luthor then is able to do the surgery that saves Superman's life. Uh, afterwards, everyone's kind of given pardons and takes off, and it looks like Len Snart's going to be a member of the Justice League based on what we kind of see here. Um, Ted Court has a bit of a, a meeting with Lex Luthor and thinks that Lex is one of the good guys. And then... Uh, you know the the big the big elements at the at the end is that Lex Luthor now realizes that Batman and uh, Bruce Wayne are the same person, although it's not quite clear how he figures that out. Uh, also, we get find out that uh, Lena, the Lex Luthor's sister, is actually not dead, um, and he lied the entire time of the narration. And the big last page is the the, the Anti Monitor has returned, um, and is apparently on the on the hunt for Darkseid. Uh, so it's interesting that you have these two characters trying to conquer alternate realms, and one of them at least is actively looking and trying to uh, dominate the other. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. It wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't the greatest issue I've ever read. There were definitely some really strong moments. Um, overall, though, I think it was a bit of a mess of a series. Uh, so I'm going to give it just a seven. Uh, next up is Hulk number three. I can I really like this. I'm sad that Mark Wade's leaving the Hulk. Um, it really bums me out because he's done such a good job with the character, but uh, I really like this. And Bagley, I love him on the Hulk book. It's great. So in this issue, we have uh, more of like, you know, of uh, these, I forget, what the, like basically you just have Hulk versus Abomination. We're wondering who sent these assassins, uh, who's kind of pulling the strings behind Abomination. Um where Captain America is finding out more about the fact that Bruce Banner has brain damage, and if he's turning into the Hulk, it's healing him, but it's healing him the wrong way. Uh, so they're just trying to keep him from being the Hulk. The last page is awesome because it's the Hulk holding Captain America's shield. This is a tremendously great book. I'm sad that Mark Wade's leaving. I'm glad that Mark Bakley is staying on because I'm really enjoying his take on the character. Um, his art, it just feels like he is trying to do something a little bit different because of the characters he's dealing with, and I like that he's dealing with the Hulk. It's really cool. Um... To give it an 8 out of 10. Next up is Justice League number 30. 
Justice League 30 is the first kind of major turning point issue where on the cover we have Lex Luthor as part of the Justice League. Um, that being said, so we see this, I guess what, this new secret society of, of uh, villain secret society uh, gathering, and then the Justice League shows up with Lex Luthor and uh, Le- Leonard Snart on the team, as well as uh, Shazam. And then we kind of go back in time uh, to four days, and we're dealing with the you know the Justice League and dealing with what's happened, the aftermath of uh, Forever Evil. You have a bunch of the Justice League going up against Metallo. You have Leonard Snart trying to decide what to do next with his life. Um, everyone's looking for Luther, and Luther basically has his own new watchtower, which he invites the Justice League to because he wants to join the team because he likes being a hero. There's a great moment where. Uh, where uh, he basically allows himself to be bound by Wonder Woman's lasso, and Wonder Woman's able to, you know, kind of interrogate him. He's like, why would you ever want to be in the Justice League? And he's like, because I'm an egomaniac. And it was kind of interesting that, you know, he's not lying. That's why he wants to be, a hero, uh, you know, a so-called hero. He's not doing it to be selfless. He's doing it because he loves the adoration, loves to be the guy who's a hero, uh, which is an interesting take to go with the character. Um, and it also it looks like the storyline's also going to be about what happened to Power Ring, um, and because it's gone to, uh, what's her name, uh, Jessica Cruz, so we'll have to see what goes on with this character. But the big last page is awesome because it kind of follows up immediately on Forever Evil 7, where you have uh, Lex Luthor show up at um, the uh, Wayne Manor and says, Good evening, Mr. Pennyworth. Can you tell Batman that Lex Luthor is here to see him? Which is very cool. I'm going to give it an 8. Um, the artwork on this particular book is by... Uh, Ivan Reyes and it's written by Jeff Johns uh, I really really like Ivan Reyes's artwork it's a lot cleaner and crisper than um, David Finch who has too many ugly lines that's one issue with Forever Evil as well uh, so I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 next up is Justice League of America 14 um, you know I like this a lot more than I was expecting to uh, it's by Matt Kent and Eddie Barrows uh, with Tom Derenick on art as, and I believe this is the last issue um, it's kind of weird to follow, and it describes a final battle between the Justice League and the and the uh, CSA, which didn't actually happen, uh, which is part of like a cover-up, I guess. It's kind of weird. Um, you have, you know, it, it's just it's it's a follow-up on, on what's happened to these characters now that they're all kind of out there in the world. Um, I found a lot of it was kind of I don't know tedious. With Green Arrow trying to assemble this team, the best part of the issue was with Star Girl and Martian Manhunter, and I like their bond that they've developed. That is what's re- worth reading in this issue. The rest of it's kind of meaningless fluff that, that ends up continuing in Justice League United that's already started anyway, which makes you feel more and more that this book is hurting from the fact that it got delayed because of Forever Evil's delay. I'm going to give this about a six. Uh, it had some really strong elements, but it also just had a lot of what I felt was fluff, because it was just ending this book that, by the time it got started, it was part of a crossover, and then it became about Stargirl trying to escape a prison over and over and over again, and now it's over. So it's kind of a weird lifespan for a book, for sure. Uh, next up is Magneto number four. Um, uh, this remains interesting. Uh, Colin Bunn writing it with Avier Fernandez on art. Um, I'm still not digging the kind of weird Professor X-ish look for Magneto, but... I do like what they're, the storyline here with the mutants that are being kind of offloaded and sent to this facility, uh, how Magneto is being portrayed there, although he's not wearing his all white, so I don't really know what's up with that. Um, strong issue, absolutely. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is 
The New 52 Features End, number three. I continue to be unimpressed uh, with this title. Uh, so here we have, uh, and yet, and, sorry, we start off in, in the cold of Canada, uh, where we have Frankenstein yet again showing up in a book, which is interesting because I'd already read him earlier in the week. Um, then we have Death, uh, sorry, Firestorm dealing with his, impl- his his involvement in Green Arrow's death and Jason Rush basically being um, uh, imprisoned by Ronnie Raymond because he's not letting him out. Uh, we're also dealing with Grifter. I just feel like this, bo- this book has a lot of characters I just don't really care about. Uh, Mr. Terrific dealing with the recent uh, intrusion into one of his facilities by the future Batman. At the end, it looks like Lois Lane has found Red Robin, who apparently is thought to be dead. Uh, it means a little bit less to see that this character is Red Robin when we didn't even know he was supposedly dead, so it just adds a little bit less dramatic, uh, dramatic um, reveal to uh, the last page. Uh, it's okay. I mean, this is... I don't know. This is... Of the two weeklies that uh, DC's putting out right now, this is definitely the not the strongest. Um, and by having characters I just don't really care a lot about, it doesn't help at all. Uh, it's written by Bron Azarello, Jeff Lemire... Dan Jurgens and Keith Giffen, layouts by Dan Jurgens and finishes by Mark Irwin. Um, interesting, for sure. I'm going to give that about a, a six and a half. It has some... El- no, it, it's a five and a half. Sorry, my bad. Uh, next up is Nova, number 17. Talk about a wistful, sad book. Um, so, I love the cover, first of all. It's, it's fantastic with uh, Nova sleeping and his sister with the helmet on. Um... So here we're, we're seeing a little bit more of the dynamic between Sam and his mom. He knows that they have money problems, so that's why he brings a giant gold, radioactive gold mucket home. Uh, and he tries to think of ways he can help his mom. Uh, we're seeing a little bit more of her life as, um, as uh, Sam is taking care of his sister. His sister puts on the Nova helmet and ends up crashing through a wall, which is really funny that she's temporarily a Nova. Uh, and then when his mom gets home, she's kind of like, seriously, you made a giant hole in the wall? Uh, and she just wants to be alone. Uh, Nova takes off on his own and kind of is a hero and is able to protect people, and that definitely makes him feel good. And then he comes home, and he finally come, comes clean with his mom, but that he knows that they're having money problems and they might be evicted, uh, and, which is really cool. And I just like that, again, it's very straightforward. I like the connection between Sam and his mom and the way that they're writing that up. Um, and I, I'm going to miss the Watcher because I really like that he had a, a, fr- a true friend, uh, a friend of sorts, uh, someone he could kind of uh, go to. A weird kind of bonding relationship, which I never would have thought of would work for Nova, for any character, the way that it was written here, but it was so charming. And then the last page is really kind of a gut punch because I already know that the Watcher's dead, but it's a lot sadder to see it here because the art, it just kind of takes it home that it's really going to affect Nova as a character. And plus that last page... Uh, with just the blood pooling, is actually a lot more effective and sad than the weird kind of eyeless version that we saw in Original Sin uh, number one. Uh, So I'm going to give Nova number 17 a nice solid 8. It remains a very enjoyable book, a book I would not have thought would be nearly as fun as it is. It's by uh, Jerry Dugan with artwork by, um, I guess, Medina. So next up we have, let's see... Uh, original Sin number two. Speaking of Original Sin, um, this was a kind of, it just feels like a very oddly paced book. I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, I love that Dead Auto is doing a, a big event book, although I don't necessarily think it's the best fit for him in terms of the way it's being written. Uh, so we have this mysterious boss leading these different teams. 
um, as we're trying to kind of find out the, what's really going on. Uh, you have Nick Fury kind of doing his own investigation and being all awesome and kind of old school, um, strange, um, Stranko-ish version of Nick Fury, to be honest, and less of the gruff, uh, retired agent or soldier that we saw in Secret Warriors, which is probably my favorite version of the character. Uh, seeing the Punisher and Doctor Strange on a mystical realm, super weird. Um, anyways, it's it's definitely a, a weird issue. Uh, I'm liking it for the most part. Again, it'll depend on what where they're going to go from here with the with the orb having uh, the eye. Um, talk about a Z-list super villain. I'm not really sure how I feel about this. Like the script had its highlights, but at times it just felt like it didn't really know what it's doing yet. And uh, the reveal, I don't think, is going to mean a lot for most people because who knows the orb? No one. He's zealous for a reason. I'm going to give it a six. The art's really absolutely fantastic. Again, I don't know if it quite fits the Adada's strengths because he does his strengths are like the big, awesome action or even the moodier, quieter scenes, and this doesn't quite have those. Uh, anyway, moving on, we have Sinestro number two. Um, this issue looks fantastic. I really liked. How it was written with uh, Sinestro kind of coming home, uh, saving his daughter, and kind of taking control of the Sinestro Corps again and trying to uh, train them into being a force for order that they were always supposed to be, order through fear. It's written by Colin Bunn with artwork by Dale Eaglesham. I'm loving the artwork by Eaglesham. Um, He just, the way he makes Sinestro look, I mean, Sinestro's like an action star. He's he's buff, he's awesome looking. Um, Definitely a far cry from the spindly version we got by uh, Ethan Van Skyver in Green Lantern Rebirth, which, to be honest, is more accurate to the character. Um, So I'm going to give that Sinestro number two actually an 8.5. I just thought it was so much fun, and it looked great. Um, Next up is Supergirl 31, which continues the Red Daughter of Krypton story. Whenever they flash back to the Earth Earth parts, though, I'm just kind of like, really? I don't really care. Uh, It's by Tony Bedard with artwork by... Uh, Lupacino, I believe. Uh, let's see. Emanuela Lupacino with Ray McCarthy and Guillermo Ortego. Or, sorry, Ortego. Uh, Yildirex Kinnar and Corey Smith, all doing art. Uh, so it's a little bit inconsistent in art just because there's so many people involved. We're building towards an Atrocitus Guy Gardner uh, showdown at some point. They're after this, this new Red Lantern. Um... I feel like there's some stuff that may be just bleeding over into the other book that I may or may not be reading. Um, I like this new character and how it's kind of going goes into uh, Supergirl's mind. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. This is a, a, a delightful surprise because I don't expect it necessarily to be the greatest book. It's been a little inconsistent since its beginning with many different writers. Um, but I like this. Uh, then we have Uncanny X-Men 21. Uh, so this is by Brian Michael Bendis and Brian Bacallo. Um, I like the... Sorry, Chris Bacallo. What am I saying? Brian Bacallo. Uh, I like this in theory. I mean, there's some really fun stuff that's happening here. The idea that something's gone wrong uh, with some of their powers. Um, also, you have uh, Magneto confronting uh, Blob for his part in what they're doing to Allison Blair. Um, uh, poor Dazzler. You have the fake Dazzler dealing with the, with the, uh, the X-Men. You have the Helicarrier uh, taking fire on the X-Men. Uh, which is obviously not a good thing for uh, human human mutant relations, and you have this, I guess, bubble character. We don't really know who he is yet. Who is doing some, has some sort of connection to uh, the Beast, who's kind of perpetrating all this. Um, I like this more than the last couple issues I've read of Uncanny X Men. I'm going to give it a seven, which I think is actually almost too high, but I'll stand by it. 
Uh, the second last book is Wolverine and the X-Men number four. The artwork by uh, Jason, sorry, Mahmoud Azrar and it's written by Jason Latour. I actually like this chapter more than I have some of the others. Uh, just seeing what Kid Omega does was really cool. Because um, I think he's kind of the standout here. I really liked how he was used. Uh, I liked how uh, Hellion was used as well. Um, yeah, I thought this was a lot more interesting than the past few issues have been. And I'm interested to see where they go with this. And I like the whole discussion of uh, the con- kind of the continuity of it all. And what it's like to be possessed by Apocalypse or by the Phoenix Force. Um so I, I enjoyed this a lot more than I had the previous issues. I'm going to give it a 7. And the last issue, or last book, is X-Men 14. I think X-Men's probably my favorite X-Book right now, even better than Old New. Um, it's written by Brian Wood, who I believe is soon leaving, which is sad. Artwork by Clay Mann, who is just brilliant. Uh, just every every page of this is just fantastic looking. This is the second part of Bloodline. Um, yeah, There's a lot going on here, a lot of pieces that... The team is a cool formalized version of a team now. Seeing how they operate is pretty awesome. And then having the backup called Bromo Superior was really cool as well. Um, again, I guess with Hellion and Rockslide and Anol and all of them, uh, I really dug it. This was fantastic. Uh, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, the backup story, let me just actually, I think it's by a different uh, creative team. Or maybe not. I don't, I can't seem to find other creative team involved. So I guess. It doesn't look like Clay Man. Um, so I don't even, but it does read like it's by Jason Wood. Sorry, Brian Wood. Man, I'm getting all the first names wrong today. Anyways, um, next, uh, just so that's every book that we're looking at this week. The books we didn't get a chance to look at include the following: All New Dupe number two, Batman sixty six number eleven, uh, Batman Beyond Universe number ten, Batwoman thirty one, Bridge of Prey thirty one, Deadpool Annual two, Green Lantern New Guardians number thirty one, Harley Quinn six, Miracle Man six. Powers Bureau number 10, Red Hood and the Outlaws 31, Savage Wolverine number 18, Scribble Knots on Mass, Crisis of Imagination number 5, Thor God of Thunder 22, Trinity of Sin, Pandora number 11, Ultimate FF number 2, Unwritten Volume 2 of Ocalypse number 5, uh, Wonder Woman 31. So that's a, a lot of books that came out this past, or not this past week, but a couple weeks ago. Uh, next up, I just want to, usually I would then go through a listing of some of the books that have come out uh, this week. Uh, or the next week, which is already passed, which is this week. Uh, some of the highlights that are coming out include the following. Uh, so May 28th is the release of new issues of All New Invaders, of Aquaman, uh, another chapter of Avengers, which I hope I'm really looking forward to, uh, and another chapter of Batman uh, Zero Year. Uh, again, continued issues of Batman Eternal, F- Fantastic Four, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, a new chapter of Miss Marvel that I'm excited about reading. The last issue of Nightwing, which I skimmed through so far and I'm not impressed. Uh, a new issue of Secret Origins. Uh, the Thanos Annual by Jim Sterling, which I was not that impressed with either. Uh, new issues of New 52 Features End, uh, as well as Unca- excuse me, Uncanny Avengers, Winter Soldier, The Bitter March, and Wolverine um, as it marches towards um, the death of Wolverine, which is happening soon. Anyway, so that is our episode for the week. Uh, so I apologize uh, for the late uh, dropping of this episode, but uh, at least the next episode will come out tomorrow, uh, which will have the spotlight on X-Men Days of Future Past, the film. And then next week we'll have a Talking Heroclix episode, which will be episode 172. So I think I'm actually starting to stockpile those uh, even-numbered episodes, which, which is good. Uh, if you have any emails for Comic Shenanigans, you can uh, 
email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook and rate and review us on iTunes. As well as please subscribe to us on iTunes. That's how we can best grow the audience for the show. And um, you know, if you, if you uh, know people who also like comics and might like some podcasts about them, uh, please refer us. Um, and also please do, as I said, rate and review us on iTunes. And we will uh, read your, your uh, comment on the air if you let me know which country you're in that you left the review for. Uh, so I have to access the right version of iTunes so that I can read it on the air. So thanks again, and uh, we'll catch you next time for our Spotlight on X-Men Days of Future Past episode. Bye-bye.